be advised, we understand some of the content of this presentation may be emotionally triggering in nature. Please listen as you feel comfortable. everybody, this is Jocelyn Hampshire and I'm here with Robin Bowdish and Molly McMath on behalf of Tusk Against Trafficking. Uh, so thanks for tuning in. Uh, again, Tusk Against Trafficking is our county's anti-human trafficking coalition uh, made up of professional agencies, the faith community and community members, uh, all uniting to combat human trafficking uh, with the vision to have a community that is free of human trafficking. So uh, we're excited you're here again. Um, last episode, we talked about Human Trafficking 101. So if you didn't have a chance to listen to that, please tune into that. Um, it just talks a lot about a lot of general information about what is human trafficking, as well as the power of awareness and how we can go about learning more. So today we're talking about grooming. Uh, and the trafficker specifically a little more, and then also the red flags of human trafficking, things that we may see or look for that can be indicators that human trafficking is happening. So to get started, Robin, I'm going to just throw out a question to you. Okay. Um, can you, we, we may have a, a certain idea of what a human trafficker looks like. Um, but can you give us the standard profile of a human trafficker? Sure. So what I want to say, a human trafficker is typically not the um, creepy looking guy driving the white van, uh, pulling up at a gas station and stalking people there and trying to pick somebody up there. Um, a lot of times when I do presentations, that's what people's, come up to me and talk about afterwards we know that while I, while you have to be vigilant of your surroundings i don't want to discount any of that we know that m the majority of human trafficking does not occur that way um, we don't have any percentage on it but i i'm gonna say at least 95 percent um, of the human trafficking does not occur by somebody snatching somebody. These um, perpetrators, these traffickers are very skilled at what they do. Uh, they, this is a job to them. This is their living. Uh, I don't think there's any one profile of what a trafficker looks like, and that's what makes it so difficult to, to pinpoint. Um, traffickers can work alone or they can work in groups. Uh, if I, and I, I, I think I probably mentioned this in the other episode, but the the uh, Jeffrey Epstein story is just a classic case of a perpetrator and how traffic, how how those perpetrators ensnare their victims, uh, traffic their victims, um, all of that. But the traffickers, whether they work alone, whether they are a family member whether they are somebody who just ingratiated themselves with the family and became an honorary family member, or whether they're part of a, a, a larger international business or a loose um, uh, business, a gang type thing. Um, it's just, they, they can be anywhere and they can be anybody. It can, somebody in the house next door to you can be a trafficker. Okay. So you're saying any age, any mm -hmm. race, male or female, uh, whether it be a business partner, mm -hmm. a teacher, a neighbor, 
Correct. It can be anybody. There's no Correct. standard profile. Correct. There's no standard profile. And a couple things I want to say too with that, um, trafficking, while trafficking can happen in person, most trafficking these days occurs online. Perpetrators, uh, if they are trying to connect with somebody online, they can connect with five to seven individuals that in the same time they could connect in person with one person. So what you have to also remember is that uh, trafficking uh, for these traffickers, the two factors that drive this is it's a, a high profit business for them. So it's a business and it's also low risk because it's difficult to uh, prove that trafficking occurred because we're looking at fraud, force, and coercion as the three caveats for proving that someone has been trafficked. So typically traffickers will plead to a lower charge and it'll never be recorded as trafficking. So it's, it's high profit, low risk, right. makes it a, a pretty easy business. It's not like you're standing there holding, uh, holding a bag of drugs in your hand and you get caught with them. Right. Right. I think it's important to discuss this because, like I said, I think we have in mind that it is the creepy guy in the white van. Um, and so it's not to make us paranoid, you know, that it's, you know, but we do want to be aware um, and enlightened that it may not be um, the profile that we've imagined. It's it's not necessarily in such a nice little box that, that we've That's correct. put this, this person in. So um, I think it's also important to know, and this may come up later too, that, um, traffickers, whether it's online or in person, um, can be very charming. And, and you brought up, um, not only can they groom, and we're going to go into this next topic about grooming, but not only can they groom the victim, but they can groom their families. That is correct. Um, and I have a, f- a friend um, who is a survivor, and she, she talks about that. Her family was groomed as well. Uh, so uh, very interesting. Uh, just, again, more awareness. Okay, so let's go into that next question of, of how do human traffickers lure people into trafficking? We talked a little bit about this in our last episode, but we really want to build on that. So Molly, do you want to, to comment on sure. that? Um, going back to what Robin said, that the majority of the time what we're seeing, right, is this grooming process, not the um, creepy guy in the van. And I can tell you from... Um, my experience at Compass, that the the survivors that we've worked with, it has all there has always been some type of a relationship or a tie to the trafficker. Um, we haven't had any case yet, at, at, from my memory, um, where it was a kidnapping into mm-hmm. trafficking. So I want to make sure that everyone's aware, and and I think um, when I think back, just in my personal life on on social media, we see a lot of attention being put on that kidnapping piece, right? Um, I'm sure everybody has seen the uh, social media posts about the zip ties Mm -hmm. on the mirrors. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't have any evidence that that is a common practice among traffickers, but it gets shared. And I think what we have to be careful about, it's like Robin said, we don't want you to not be vigilant of your surroundings. Absolutely, we should be. But we also don't want to take attention away of where trafficking is so often happening, and that's right in our homes, right? 
And so when we talk about how do traffickers lure their victims in, we need to look at um, where do they have access to us at, right? And traffickers will invest a lot of time into befriending their victims, gaining their trust, getting to know them. And then as that trust builds and that relationship builds, they can then start to break down the boundaries that they have for themselves until it gets to the point where the victim feels that there's no getting out, that they're in too deep. Um, I think a great example, and it's one that we use a lot of times, is in the movie Chosen. Um, and and if our viewers haven't watched that, it's, it's a great film to watch. But um, she was just doing her job as a server, right? And she went to a table and, and started um, serving the customers and they chatted up and where, where do you, where are you going after school and learned what her passions were for college and they built on that and they gained her trust. And from there she ended up in, in a dangerous situation. And that was just from her being at her job. And so I think the key to that is that they will find what the vulnerabilities are in their victim and they build on that. And I don't want it to sound like only weak people with vulnerabilities can be be victims. We all have vulnerabilities, whatever that may be. And I know Jocelyn, you were talking about some of those earlier. And they will they will find what that vulnerability is and they will build on it. And so they are very charming, like you said, very charming. They want to befriend us. Maybe they want to date their victim. Um if it's so there's so many layers to it. And I just want to make sure that we're very um, focused on the idea that this grooming can happen in our home. And one thing I want to add, there are a couple things I want to add, add to that. First of all, the person who is grooming a victim may not actually be the trafficker himself. The trafficker Correct. himself may have people under him like peers. So if I'm a 17, 18 year old, 16 year old girl, there might be an 18 year old boy who befriends me, uh, builds a relationship with my family and then connects me with that trafficker because that person is getting paid to bring me in. So while he, it may not be that I'm having sex with this individual or that I'm giving him uh, explicit pictures or anything like that, there's that um, he is working for that trafficker and he's bringing me in. The other thing is what we know about brain research in, in young in kids is that from 11 to 16, your brain craves, um, craves the uh, attention and wants to be praised and wants to have people like them. And so, um, in that development process, that 11 to 16 year old becomes more vulnerable than any other time in, in his or her life. Exactly. Making the youth mm -hmm. a vulnerability factor. And I, Robin, what you said about, um, sometimes it's not the trafficker doing the grooming. Mm -hmm. Um, there are also cases where it's other victims mm -hmm. doing the grooming. They, the victims are actually tasked with bringing in, um, more, more into their circle. Mm -hmm. I just think it's important with the vulnerabilities. You guys bring up a good point, whether it's love, affection, even shelter, um, finances, security, finances. 
they target those vulnerabilities and then they provide whatever the need is they provide. And so there's that building of trust. And this victim is kind of spitting, falling head over heels kind of thing. So earning their trust, earning their devotion. And I think Molly, you brought this up last time as that's happening, then the trafficker is isolating Mm -hmm. and, and making, breaking, like planting uh, seeds of doubt in the victim's mind. Like they don't really love you. They don't really care about you. And so now he or she, whoever that trafficker is, wants them solely dependent on him or her. And so then it's like, okay, now that is the basis now for all future control, right? Correct. Um, so, and then that's where we, you know, the expanding of boundaries and and, and tearing down those boundaries. Um, and now I've basically got you where I want you and yeah. So and asking and if, them to do things for money and that kind of thing. And if you think about the social media aspect of all of this, um, it is very easy for traffickers to pick out somebody with vulnerabilities, uh, like such as um, I hate myself. So there's a sure. low self-esteem yep. thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish I were pretty. Uh, nobody loves me. Um those kinds of, tri- you know, or I, I, I want to buy this new dress and I, I can't believe I can't. My mom won't give me money for it or something like that. Those kinds of words become trigger words. And these perpetrators have the ability to canvas social media and just pull these kids right out of, of whatever app they're on. Absolutely. And social media also gives them the opportunity to learn what their likes are, mm-hmm. what their interests are, Absolutely. what their hobbies are. And all of a sudden they can share a hobby now or have a common interest. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. They know what they're doing. Master manipulators. Okay. So let's talk about um, what are some of the red flags that we see in human trafficking. So once um, this victim has been lured, lured in um, and is being controlled, what are some of the red flags that we as the general public could pick up on and see that might tip us off to, this is prob- this could not be a really good situation here. So I think one of the things that we look for is the isolation factor. Um, do they have a support system in place? Are they allowed to have a support system? And also what are they allowed to have in their possession freely? Okay. Are they allowed to have phones, documentation, ID? Those are all things um, to look at as well. Mm-hmm. So is there um, a lack of control? Do they have any control over those things? Okay. Can they speak for themselves? Mm-hmm. Or is someone constantly answering questions when they're being addressed? Is someone else coming in and, and answering for them? Can they freely move, move around? Uh, one of the big things particularly with kids, is the unstable home life. Um, Kids who are in foster care and are aging out of the system are um, typically more prone Mm, to, um, yeah, more vulnerable. I guess that's a better word. Um, Families that have issues of drug drug addiction, drug abuse, um, um, alcoholism, those kinds of things, those families are... um, are willing to sell a family member for drugs, sex, whatever, um, and not feel bad about it because they're feeding their habit. Um, I think um, when somebody's paranoid, which kind of piggybacks on what Molly was talking about, a person who's paranoid because somebody is always trying to control the person and is over that person's shoulder, and so it's easier 
to not talk to anybody else and because I'm constantly looking over my shoulder because I feel like I'm in danger if I'm talking to somebody else. Okay. I know um, we talk about familial trafficking, Rob, and you brought that up, trafficking within the family. That's something that I, I really wanted to talk about because I know we've seen red flags with some of the kids um, because of substance abuse or just things going on in the home. And so I, I um, was listening to someone, a survivor of familial trafficking, and she was talking about the red flags and especially, I think, to teachers, which I thought was very interesting. But she said, watch for those students in your class who are overly tired on a regular basis. She said, whether they're working long hours throughout the night, whether they are um, being sexually assaulted throughout the night, whether they are, um, that school might be the only safe place to sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, she said it was for her. It was the only safe place to sleep. Mm-hmm. So watch on a regular basis if they're overly tired. She also talked about um, kids who are overly withdrawn. Mm-hmm. and who are not allowed to make friends. So at school, they are physically isolated, emotionally isolated, relationally isolated. Um, she talked about she was not allowed to make those friends. She knew that that would be a dangerous thing mm-hmm. if anyone found out. Um, she also talked about learning. She said if if you know kids that are in trauma have trouble learning, obviously because, mm-hmm. again, their brains are in survival mode, they are hypervigilant, mm-hmm. um, they're just trying to, you know, survive, let alone take in all this other information um, and, and material. So she said if, if they have a sudden, you know, change in, in their academic performance or they just can't learn, they're really struggling, she said that's that can be a red flag. She also talked about the over-controlling parent, mm-hmm. um, the over-interested, over-invested parent, Um, And she, you know, she spoke, she, she said, I was not allowed to talk for myself. Um, Mm -hmm. My parent always answered for me. Um, And then she, it was really interesting because she did say, which um, kind of validated what uh, I've seen is she just said, um, predators, they're, they're often very charming Mm -hmm. and well-known in the community. Mm -hmm. Um, They're kind of hidden in plain sight Mm -hmm. because she said they, they're well-liked. Um, so that was just something, some things for, for teachers especially to be aware of. Um, but also um, we can continue talking about just the general public. I think um, mental health, I think mm-hmm. anxiety. Right, depression. So, uh, you know, someone who's depressed or hypervigilant mm-hmm. can't relax, won't make eye contact. Mm-hmm. That's another one. Right. Um, I think um, obviously. Very fearful, mm-hmm. anxious. Very. And what you were saying about um, students, maybe not doing well in school with Mm -hmm. learning. Mm -hmm. They can't concentrate. You can apply that um, also to adults in their job. If you've had an employee that has been pretty consistent worker, you know, you know, their work and habits and all of a sudden you start seeing a shift Mm -hmm. in how they're working, maybe when they're arriving to work, if they're calling off more again, not all those situations obviously would lead to someone being trafficked, but we can see it's a red flag of something. Mm-hmm. Right? Absolutely. One other thing too, and this is um, this is different than familial mm-hmm. trafficking, but if you are a teacher and you see a uh, student show up with that had moderate clothes on, I mean, clo- dressed like everybody else, and then all of a sudden that student is coming in with a coach handbag and mm-hmm. fancy shoes, and you know. Uh, fancy outfits, expensive outfits, and you know the the student doesn't have a job, 
um, those are some red flags. Where is the student getting that money to spend like that? Absolutely. I've had the opportunity to um, sit through a number of trainings or, or workshops um, where survivors have spoken, and that's such a common red flag among our college students, mm-hmm. right? Um, I think we have may have mentioned it in our previous podcast mm-hmm. that college students are many times struggling. Mm-hmm. College is not cheap, and traffickers know that, mm-hmm. and that is oftentimes a lure to get college students in by giving them expensive things, making sure that they have money to buy those expensive things that they want. And it's definitely a red flag. And and that's a really good point that you bring up, Molly, about college students, because we talk a lot about younger kids, but college students are extremely vulnerable mm-hmm. and they're extremely accessible because in some sense they are isolated. Mm-hmm. They've left home, they've left their Uh, friends of 12 years, you know, they've left their community and here they are just plopped in the middle of a college campus. So they're isolated to begin with. So that step in the grooming process is really already taken care of in some sense. And I'm going to put on my prevention hat here just for a minute. But I think that's why it's so important that we start talking to our kids at a young age. Um, and, and teaching them age appropriately about healthy relationships, mm-hmm. about what consent looks like and our, our red flags and green flags of a healthy relationship, um, because we don't want to wait mm-hmm. till the first time that they're out on their own mm-hmm. and give them a 10 minute speech on how to protect yourself mm-hmm. and, and send them out there into the world. And so I just think it's so important that we're talking to our kids from a very young age up um, about relationships and consent. It's so important. So true. Um, I think too, we don't want to miss a a very obvious one too. A red flag would be, um, physical, uh, injury or bruising or, um, burn marks or cutting anything like that. Um, that can be uh, an indicator as well. So we want to not, not forget to mention that one. Um, I know that it, there can be more, there's more, mm-hmm. you know, inconsistencies in stories, um, loss of time and whereabouts and not knowing addresses and things like that. And it's, so for our listeners, there is a list on our website, um, taskagainstrafficking.org that you can go to the get involved tab and there's a list. Plus there's tons of resources on there that will tell you again, um, those red flags and highlight those for you. And you know, those are red flags around people, but red flags around communities could also be if, uh, if you notice there's a lot of activity at a particular house, And maybe that activity wasn't there before, or maybe somebody moved in and all of a sudden there are cars in and out and people in and out and you, you, you very seldom see the same person or there's some kind of a pattern. Um, What I always tell community members who ask me about this kind of thing is contact law enforcement, call your local police, um, start documenting, um, you know, the day, the time. Um, how many cars you saw in or out. If you could take pictures with your cell phone, that that's pretty awesome too, because then they'll at least have a description. But um, you have to be careful because these people could could potentially harm you as well. But if you call law enforcement once and you see a police car show up and check on things and then they leave, um, and maybe a week later, the same thing starts up. Don't hesitate to call again. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is their job to come out and check those kinds of things out. One call 
might might not lead them to what they need to find, but two or three or four may. So let's talk about that. So when, as a bystander, let's say you're out in, you know, it's a neighbor or you're out in community and how are we to respond when we see some of these red flags? So Robin, you're saying call law enforcement right away. Just that, if you see any of these red flags. In a house, if you, you are in your house and every night there's something going on, call law enforcement. Okay. Um, but, but again, I, and I, I'm sure Molly will hit on this too. Don't ever go up to somebody and say, hey, are you being human trafficked? Because I'm seeing a lot of things over here. Uh, number one, the person may be watched and you, you may make the situation worse for that person. Number two, that person may not have any idea of what human trafficking is and may not feel that he or she is being mm-hmm. human trafficked. Okay. Okay. So, so when we're out, and I just want to make this really clear, as bystanders, if you see red flags to call law enforcement, um, you also want to you want to pay attention a little bit to so you can report some things. Like if if you want to describe. Um, what you're seeing, obviously, and what what's the red flags, but also a license plate. If there's something that was very odd and stuck out to you and they're driving away, get a license plate if you can, any descriptors of people, what they were wearing or, or people themselves. So that's if, if you can get all that. But just, mm-hmm. yeah, please don't hesitate to call law enforcement because as Robin said, that's what they're there for. Sometimes we think, oh, what if I'm wrong? Oh, I'm probably just imagining things. Just call mm-hmm. um, because- Make yeah. the call. Mm-hmm. If your gut tells you something's not right, chances are it probably isn't. And you can call 911. Uh, you could call the uh, Ohio State Highway Patrol. All of the highway patrolmen who are currently- and I think within the last year have gone through training, have had to participate in human traffic awareness courses. So they're very well versed in what they're looking for. They're very well versed in how to separate a victim from a perpetrator and to um, talk to them and get that individual to safety. Uh, You can reach out to the National Human Trafficking Hotline. Uh, They have a text line. So all you have to do is text help. And that number is 233-733. Or you can just call them at 1-888- three seven three seven eight 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 and really if you just do a google search for national um, human trafficking hotline those numbers will come up but there are a lot of ways to reach people for help and know too that those numbers are on our website that Mm -hmm. you can get those off of there as well so like you said jocelyn this is a crime that's hidden in plain sight so we are seeing it the question is are we aware Mm -hmm. of what we see and so just call. Yeah. Please just call if you see something and it may take more than one phone call and that's okay. You know, they're, they're good at hiding what they do. And so it might take many phone calls, but just call, just make the call. I agree. I remember driving down the freeway and it was, it stuck out to me. Obviously there was a young person walking along the freeway with a little backpack. And as I was coming past her, she was crawling over the, the, um, guardrail. Thank you. (laughs) The guardrail (laughs) and heading down in another direction. And that bothered me. I called the sheriff's department. I'm just like, it just reminded me runaway Mm -hmm. little belongings Mm -hmm. and heading towards, um, a truck stop. And so I just, that bothered me. So I called and it's like, you know what? I have nothing to lose. It could save somebody's life. It could, you know, just for them to check into it. 
Uh, so, but if, if, if you see something, say something, that's, that's important. So, okay. Now, Robin, you brought up, uh, something I wanted to talk about. Um, should a bystander or how should a bystander, uh, respond as far as speaking to someone, um, if they see a situation. So if we see something in, in out of community, you're saying, don't walk up to them and say, Hey, you know, um, because I, I love what you brought up. You could put them in danger. Their traffickers are often close by, uh, watching. Um, and so you could put them in danger, yourself in danger, um, what if, do you say something to someone if you're uh, in a in a restroom and you've you've noticed something, do you say something to them if you know the trafficker's not around or or how do you handle that situation? I, I think if you uh, if you're confident that the person is safe in having a discussion with you, there are just some general questions that you could ask like, um, so what type of work do you do? Um, and maybe they will start talking to you as, as you're standing there. You could, um, if you wanted to get more in depth and I mean, and you, I wouldn't ask them this way, but these are the kinds of things that you would want to get at. What kind of work do you do? Uh, could, can you leave your job if you want to going back to what Molly said, or are you stuck there? You know, that can't, can you, um, um, can, can you, where do you work and what are your living conditions like? Um, so these are some of the things that you would want to find out. Again, not asking questions that way, but more in a conversational way. Think about how you might approach those subjects. Um, are you being paid for what you do or um, which would tell you if somebody else is getting the money and then that person's getting a portion of it or none of it? Um, is, is your family threatened in some way? You know, why, why are you? Um, if you see a young person with an old person, an older person, um, that's another good tip off a young girl with an older guy um, in a restaurant somewhere and they're kind of hanging out. Um, that's an, another tip off. Um, you might um, ask about uh, about identification, documentation, something that Molly talked about. Again, a lot of those things that she mentioned are questions that you can work into the discussion in some way, if you can get the person to engage with you, which may be difficult. Yeah, absolutely. Good. I, yeah, I think, um, I, I think it would be difficult to engage someone in, um, that situation in a, into a conversation. Um, I think if it's somebody that you see throughout your days, um, it's a good opportunity to just try to reach out and be that friendly person. It could just be saying hello to them each day and maybe work up to, how are you? Or what's your name? Um, just to try to build some trust so that they know that if they do need some help, you might be a person that they could reach out to. Um, you know, we work with victims on a daily basis and as much as we have in our head that we want to be the person that rushes in and saves them from a horrible situation, it's not going to happen that way. And, um, for, for victims to leave that environment, it's very difficult. It's a very long process. And I'm just going to be real honest. Your one interaction with somebody probably isn't going to change, you know, their environment, 
but we can start to build a bridge for them. And I think that's just so important. Um, And sometimes that's really hard because if mm -hmm. you say hi to somebody and that person doesn't talk to you, your first instinct is, well, okay, fine. (laughs) I'm done. Yeah. (laughs) I didn't really care if you talked to me or not. I was just trying to be nice. Um, And I think that's the key factor. Just be not nice. Like Molly said, just kind of say hi and hope that at some point your highs will become a little bit more and you'll be, uh, the conversation will be a little bit longer and you'll build that bridge. Um, just extending that helping hand to get to know somebody, maybe ask them if they want to come over for a picnic, you know, um, you know, Hey, do you want to grab a sandwich? I'm just getting ready for lunch. Do you want to grab a sandwich? They may or may not be able to come, but again, that gives you an insight into what their life is like. And if they can make that choice on the spur of the moment. So stay consistent, Mm -hmm. stay intentional and keep that line of communication open, at least on your end. And give them that. I think what what Robin was saying about how it, it could be difficult, right? You say hello to somebody, they don't Mm -hmm. return the hello. Our instinct is to say, I'm done there. Mm -hmm. But I think we have to remember um, if we're suspecting that this person is in trouble then this isn't about us. It's about them. And so that's a good point. Yeah. So we need to, to, like you said, stay intentional and stay consistent and just keep trying. Um, at least, at least that person knows in some way that you're there. Absolutely. Someone sees them. Absolutely. Okay. Um, okay. Anything either one of you would like to leave with listeners today? I think it's just important to know that traffickers can be any anyone. It's not. It's a big, huge business. Um, $150 billion are made annually in this business. So if you think about that, that's worldwide. But still, that's a huge, huge, huge profit. Um, the fact that kids have access to the Internet and that we all encourage that because we need to. Um, makes them vulnerable. And so I I don't want people to think that they should tell their kids, you can't use the internet because that is certainly not realistic in our day and age. We have to empower our children and our youth to be smart about making the choices. And going back to what Molly said earlier too, uh, it's all about the prevention and it needs to start early. So it becomes something that's automatic to us. You know, our kids, I, I like what Macria said when she said she talks to teenagers and says, you know, these traffickers are really smart. You have to outsmart them. Let's try to outsmart them. And these are some steps that we can use to do that. I think, um, I think that understanding that these traffickers are not just one fit into one single profile. I think that's pretty key that it can be anybody and it can be the person next door and it can be, um, your cousin or your brother or your dad or your mom or your aunt it can be anybody who's doing this kind of thing. I think that keeps you vigilant. That's for sure. Molly? I think as aware as we all are of the threat of kidnapping, especially when we think about children, um, I want us to be just as aware of grooming that can happen 
and because it, it's a very real thing and it's a real threat. Um, and absolutely, prevention is a big piece. And I encourage our listeners if you aren't sure how to start that conversation with your kids, um, if you need some guidance, please reach out to us. That you know, that's what we're here for. Um, and we would love to have that conversation with you on how you can start talking with your kids, no matter what they, what age they are. If you haven't started yet, start today. <laughs> and if you, you've had some conversations, but you feel that you need help on how to continue it to the next stage, that's great. And we will be here and we will help you just reach out. Awesome. Um, just, I, I kind of like to throw out again, the human trafficking hotline number, um, again, is on our website, 888-373-7888. Um, but Molly, if there'd be anybody listening to, um, in our area that would, that would need some help, could they call the compass hotline as well? Or just uh, if there'd absolutely. be anything, okay, can, can you give that number? Mm -hmm. uh, we have a 24 hour crisis hotline, um, for, Tuscarawas and Carroll County residents, you can call 330-339-1427. Wonderful. Thank you. And so I just want to, I want to leave us again with let's know the red, the red flags. I think that's, that's really important. Again, those are listed on our website, tuskagainsttrafficking.org. Um, and again, just if we can know those, um, again, we just really become aware um, and when we see something, we want to say something. So uh, again, if you have, if this stirred up any questions uh, for listeners, we want to hear those questions. Uh, our last podcast is going to be a question and answer episode. So if you have questions, please email those to info at tuskagainsttrafficking.org or uh, contact us through our website at tuskagainsttrafficking.org. So thanks so much for tuning in um, and we'll see you next time. If you would like to contribute to anti-trafficking efforts in Tuscarawas County, you can send your donations to Compass at P.O. Box 481, New Philadelphia, Ohio, 44663. Please be sure to indicate human trafficking in the memo line. We appreciate your partnership in this work. Together, we can make a difference. <laughs>